Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Years and centuries ago, scientists and doctors believed in what is called spontaneous generation. The idea that that diseases are just literally pop up, that pestilence pops up, that there is no reason for it. It just simply shows up on the scene, creating plagues and death and pandemics. It was not until a French microbiologist and chemist, Louis Pasteur, came up with a theory that actually there are invisible organisms that are in the world, that are in the air, that are in the things that we touch, that are about this world, that we cannot see with the naked eye, that it's literally out there. And if you touch it, if you breathe it, if somehow it becomes a part of you, then you will get sick. And if not careful, you might die. Have you ever heard of COVID-19? It's this reality that we live in today, even though years now that we have been living uh, with this, that any given moment, this microorganisms can form and create death and disaster and destruction. Now, I have to say that whenever Louis Pasteur brought this germ theory of disease to the public opinion, to public knowledge, that he was laughed at. He was considered a little insane. And what are you doing coming up with this harebrained idea that something invisible can impact the visible, something unseen can impact the seen and literally take life? And again, he shakes his head yes. And I want to tell you four messages now into this series that there is an unseen world out there that you will not be able to see with the blind eye. You will not be able to, to, to touch it, per se, but it is out there, it is real, and the unseen of this world is impacting the seen world. The invisible is impacting, uh, the invisible is impacting the visible. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 4.18. He says, as, as we look on, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. Our lives are very transient. Our bodies are very transient. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So even in the the the, the, the corpus of, of Scripture, you find this reality, this tension between the seen and the unseen, just as there are in the diseases of this world. And I think the sooner we wake up to a new paradigm, that I am not a body with a spirit, but I am a spirit with a body. And that my spiritual life is actually greater and more important than my physical life. Doesn't mean you just throw, uh, caution to the wind and eat Cheetos all the time and don't, don't, don't do the good things to the body. But it does mean this, that if I take care of my body, but I do not take care of my spirit, that is foolishness. That I need to realize that there's an unseen world and that there is a part, I'm a part of that unseen world. We've been talking about it. I know we talked about the, the trifecta of evil. 
And I just want to bring it back up that it's just the reality that every day, every moment of every day, we are living in this 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 tension, not tension, this war that's going on of an infernal uh, enemy, of an internal and of an external. And that at any given moment, one of those can can cause all of my spirit, all of my body even, to begin to collapse. And that I have to be ever so cognizant of these three and how the internal world is is really what I live with every day 24-7 and that I have to really pay attention to what Paul called the flesh and self and self-indulgences and desires. And if I don't control them, they'll control me. If I let my affections and my attractions tell me who I am and what I'm supposed to do, that I am literally allowing self to control me. Be careful of that. Then there's the, the, the infernal, the, the eternal dark Satan out there that we have been mentioning uh, for the past several weeks. And, and you'll see today that even Jesus believes in a literal devil. Paul believed in a literal devil. I believe in a literal devil. But then there's the external. That external being the world, the culture in which we live. Now, Paul writes Ephesians. Again, we've been studying since the fall. So take your Bibles. We find in book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 6 in a moment. But if you do a quick survey of the book of Ephesians, you're going to find there's so much. It's probably one of the most densely packaged and rich books of the Bible. And and when you look at this and you see that in the beginning he talks about deep theological truths, that literally these deep theological truths are not just head knowledge, it actually penetrates the heart. We talk about the sovereignty of God and we talk about the salvation, the soteriology of God. We talk about the works of God and and the the things that he is about in, in all of his greatness in the early chapters and how that does influence and impact our life. He talks about our identity in chapter one. In a world when we're struggling with who we are, what we are, and why we are, our identity crisis that we have in our culture today is literally eating our lunch. But where does that, where do we get a true identity to who I am, what I am, and why I am? Is you get it in Ephesians chapter one. He tells us, and again, we'll go back, we'll not go back and relive all that. These are messages of days gone by that we've shared. And then he goes on and he talks about how to live a life that's flourishing. And then he goes on and he talks about how to have a marriage that, that is biblical and sound and that will go through the seasons of life. And then he talks about parenting, tips and tricks on parenting. He goes on to talk about how to thrive on the job. I mean, it is the most densely packaged, so much to it. And yet at the end of it, it almost seems as if chapter six doesn't belong here. He could have ended talking about parenting. He could have ended talking about best life on the job. He could have been talking about marriage, but he doesn't. He ends by talking in nearly an entire chapter about war, about a spiritual war, about an unseen world that is impacting the seen world in which we live in. And in every chapter just about, He is giving recognition and acknowledgement. We talked about this last week. Recognition and acknowledgement to the reality that Satan and the demonic and the spiritual forces and the powers and authorities are out there and they are real. In fact, so real that when he's talking about marriage and relationships, he literally talks about, warns us about making a space or giving an opportunity for the devil. 
I think about marriages that struggle sometimes to reconcile their differences. Many times it's because Satan has moved into the marriage. They've created an opportunity because of their fighting and the unresolved conflict, and they literally have created a space for the devil to move into their marriage. Again, we have to wake up to the reality that there is a real war. It's the unseen against our seen. And we got to zero in on that. But it's not just in some defensive posture. I need to bubble wrap myself. I need to sequester myself inside of some, some, some place where the world, big bad world can't get me. The reality is that we, as we sing about today and we sang about last week, and we sang about the week, is that we're fighting from victory. That we have victory and the question is, am I going to walk in, in that victory? And that really, it's not just taking on a defensive posture. Hey, I got to keep the bad guy out. Hey, I got to keep the world out of my life. Hey, I've got to keep my whatever temptations out of my life. It's not just that. It's actually realizing that we can actually advance. We can actually be a, 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 an offensive for the kingdom of God. Ed, Ed Murphy. Again, I referred to him last week, probably the most comprehensive spiritual warfare research out there. He said this, he said, in spiritual warfare, the best defense is to go on the offense. Is that actually in our posture of being victorious, that when we come together collectively, that one of the best ways that we can give a defense is be on the offense and to push back the darkness. When Paul, when, excuse me, when, when Jesus was introducing the concept of the church, it was definitely in the picture and in the posture of an offensive against the darkness of hell. Whenever he said in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. For the longest time of my life, I thought that was the gates of, you know, we're going to put gates up and Satan's not going to come in and we're going to be all protected. But in actuality, Satan is building up gates to try to keep us out, try to keep us out of our, our, our schools, try to keep us out of our neighborhoods, try to keep us out of our friends' lives, trying to keep us from going to the other side of the world to share the gospel with people and with all kinds of excuses. But what we have to realize is as a church, we are on the offense and we are pushing against the darkness. The darkness isn't just pushing against us. How are we going to do this Move forward with this. Again, I, I look at our culture today and so many people in the church want to fight the culture war. And I get it. We want to be a Christian nation. Listen, my friends, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but there's no such thing as a Christian nation. There are Christians in a nation, but there's not a Christian nation. We want to, we want to, we want to cancel uh, anything and everything out there that is not of God. Well, listen, it's going to be, and it's going to continue to get dark, darker. The Bible makes that very clear. But what we have got to do is realize that the war of the culture war, the war of Satan is very real, but maybe the greatest war we need to fight is not out there. It's in here. And it's what Jesus said whenever he was talking with his disciples in Matthew 7, when he said this, from within, out of the heart of men, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, 
theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. That pretty much covers just about everything. All these evil things come from within. So it goes back to that trifecta. Probably one of the greatest things we need to be careful of is what's going on on the inside of me. Where is that slanderous attitude that I'm justified in the attitude that I have, but I'm going to tear down somebody else because I'm justified in my attitude? Where is that envy? You have something I want. I deserve it. I've been here longer than you. I've been an employee here better than you. And why are you getting promoted and I'm not getting promoted? Those things don't come on the outside. Those things come on the inside. And we have to be very mindful of what is going on in the battle raging inside. What Paul does in this Ephesians passage, and finally we're here, he talks about this armor of God, this armor that we're to put on, and in the putting on of these these different six different traits or qualities or character traits, in putting these on on a regular, consistent, everyday, 24-7 basis, we sleep in this armor. That is how we walk and live in victory. So we're going to take the next several weeks, in fact, to wrap this series up, and we're going to put on two pieces of armor. We're going to talk about what that means every day, 24-7, that I put these on all the time. I don't want to live a day without them. Because here's one of the things we're going to have to learn, is if we leave one of the pieces off of this armor of God, that is where we are most vulnerable. You can be strong in the Word, but if you don't put on the breastplate of righteousness... You're vulnerable. You don't put on the helmet of salvation, but you have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, as we'll talk about next week. You're going to be vulnerable. Every area of these and every one of these is extremely important. What we're going to talk about today is that right thinking and right living is what it's going to take to be victorious. Let's look at our passage of scripture beginning in Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on, circle the word, whole armor. This is why I emphasize that you cannot, should not leave one piece of this armor. The chain is only as strong as the weakest link, okay? The armor is only as good as the armor that's missing. They'll put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I said said a few weeks ago, that's what victory looks like. Stand is the imperative command that is calling us to. That is what he's going to say multiple times in the passage. This is what victory looks like. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and against uh, cosmic powers over the present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God. He says it twice in this passage, that you may be able to withstand and having done all to stand firm. Again, notice the stand, the stand, the stand. Verse 14, stand therefore, that that most important imperative command. Therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does this look like? How do I fight from a winner's posture? 
Well, I'm going to say this, and it's going to be probably simple in some ways. What you're going to hear is going to be simple. Living it out is the difficult part. Why? Because Satan doesn't want you to live this out. He's going to throw everything his way, every means possible. He's going to use social media, media. He's going to use friends, family, and and family history. He's going to use your environment that you're in. He's going to use everything he can to tear down two very important pieces of the arm. Not that anyone's more important than the other. Hear me say that. But I think it's just ironic that the first two things he tells us is right thinking and right living. So let's look at the right thinking side. That we need to understand our thoughts. We need to understand the thoughts not only of our head, but the thoughts of our hearts. And I marry those two together. Because sometimes we're cognitively fully aware, but our hearts aren't aligned. Sometimes our hearts feel this certain way, but we can't get the facts upstairs. So marrying these two together, what does this look like? Well, notice what Paul says in Philippians 4. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true. Or what is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Notice the intentionality of this, that you're going to literally reach in your soul, reach in your mind, and you're going to control what's going on between the ears. That you're going to reach into your soul and you're going to control what is the meditations of your heart. Because as Proverbs says, out of the heart flows all the wellspring of life. And if I do not marry my heart and my mind together and fix and control my thoughts, I will lose. What Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, take every thought captive. To what? To obey Christ. Right down to the thoughts of your heart and the meditations, what you're thinking about when you go to sleep at night, what you're dreaming about in, in the middle of the day, what you're, what you're preoccupied with. It's the ability to bring all of that in alignment with Christ. And if we aren't taking our thoughts captive, listen to this, our thoughts will be taking us captive. I will say that again. If we don't take our thoughts captive, our thoughts will take us captive. A life principle for you is your opinions will hold you captive, but truth will set you free. A mentor of mine in college um, said this one statement. I wrote it down, and I've kept it in my heart and mind ever since. He said, Mike, most of your battles are going to be won or lost between your ears. You will not do what your mind doesn't tell you to do. And if you don't control your mind, your mind will control you. You can talk about affections that way, attractions that way, the same thing, everything all throughout. The devil can't make you do anything. Hear that. But he can make you think everything. And if you don't control it, he will control your thoughts. You go back to the life of Jesus, and Jesus in John chapter 8, he has this encounter with the religious leaders. It's almost you get to the end of the chapter, you can see he's a little, he's a little frustrated. And you'll hear that in a moment. But he's talking, he's been working with and, and trying to cast a vision 
for what people's life should look like. A life of freedom, a life out of darkness and into light. These are some of the words from the earlier part of chapter 8. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So he literally offers himself up. Hey, you want to get out of the dark patterns of this world, the darkness of your family history, the darkness of life, the darkness of of your own depression and soul? Hey, (laughs) come close. Follow me. But we'll have the light of life. And then he goes on to say, the truth will set you free. The truth will will set you free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, this just made the religious leaders just hot under the collar. So they're, getting, they're going back and forth in, in John chapter 8. Read for yourself later on this week. But you'll find that what Jesus does next is he starts talking to the religious leaders. And this is what he said. John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil. I don't think Jesus was winning friends and influencing people at that moment. You are like your daddy. The devil. And your will is to do the Father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. I mean, this is it's like it doesn't even go together. Truth and Satan, truth and the devil, they do not fit together. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I mean, you talk about filling your head with untruth, with falsities, with, and we live in a world where there is all manner of fabrications and deceit and half-truth and manipulation and fake news and adultery and disloyalty and duplicity and hypocrisy and shams and scams. That's our world. Where does that come from? Our father, the father, the devil, makes up this world. And listen, beware. (laughs) It's not far from you. A lot of people say, follow your heart. I want to say, guard your heart. That's more biblical. Follow your heart. I want to say, beware of your heart. <laughs> Jeremiah seventeen nine says, the heart's deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Where do I say earlier? I said, aligning our hearts and our minds together, thinking rightly is the only way. And how do we do that? Align ourselves with the Lord, the only one who knows our hearts and can see the, the, the depths of our own depravity. Yes, I don't want to talk about the evils in the politicians out there. I don't want to talk about the evils in our society today. There's a day for that. I want to talk about the deception of our own hearts. We have got to be careful. We've got to be aware. Because there's some common self-deceptions that happen in our world. One of those is an identity theft that's out there. And again, I said this in the beginning, but... There's such a confusion about what it means to be male and female. There's, there's, there's confusion in this, in this world about what am I? And I want to say you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And God gave you your identity. Don't let it be stolen from you. And there's a false identity. It may be more common than the identity theft that's out there. 
The false identity says that I am what I am. I am what I make. I am the title that I have. I am the position that I am. I am where I rank in in society. I am the car that I drive. I am the salary that I make. Or I am divorced. I am a, I'm a felon. I've been convicted. I've broken the law. And therefore I am. You can go from one extreme to the other. You can be the CEO of your company. That's not who you are. You can be an alcoholic. That's not who you are. Who am I? It's listening to that voice, listening to what truth is. You need to understand who you are in Christ. And we need, in this post-world, post-truth world, we need to understand what truth is because it's the truth that sets us free. It's the lies that keep us closely aligned with Satan. Throughout the book of Ephesians, he's constantly talking about truth. Ephesians 1, 13, he says, when you, when, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, notice the truth and salvation, they link together. Speaking the truth in love. This is how we relate to one another. Speaking the truth in love. And then speak the truth to your neighbor. This is how we, re- re- we relate to God in truth. We relate to one another in truth. And then you walk as children of the light. The fruit of the light is found in all that is good, right, and true. So literally, the way I relate to God, the way I relate to others, the way I make decisions internally is based on what is good, right, and true. Again, you see how... Truth has got to permeate every part of who we are. No wonder at chapter 6 now, the very first piece of armor that we put on is what? Stand therefore, putting on the belt of truth. Understanding what truth is, where truth is. You're going to have to sink your teeth into something. It'll either be your truth or somebody else's truth or what you feel about truth, you're going to have to anchor into something. I'm going to go with a truth that is anchored to this book and to a person. I will say it to you like this, that truth is found in a person first and foremost. Whenever you come to John's writing, Paul wrote a lot about truth. John wrote a lot about truth. In fact, John wrote more about truth than any other writer in the New Testament. 25 times in the Gospels, he writes about truth. 20 times in his letters, he uses the word truth. He is writing this in a time at the end of the New Testament's collection. He's writing this towards the very end of the last, all the letters and the books and the revelation is all at the very end of all the New Testament. And it's the day of confusion. Gnosticism was abounding. And who is Jesus and who are you? And this, again, confusion and what he's trying to do. Hey, 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 let's come back to the truth. In this world, a post-truth world, we need, hey, 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 let's come back to the truth. Parents in the room, raise your hand if you're a parent. What is it that thrills your soul when your kids bring something into your presence? They make straight A's. (laughs) They make a full-ride scholarship. Or they get a full-ride scholarship. That'll certainly make some joy come in the family. Um, they make the travel team. 
Well, we spend so much money on travel teams, so it's got to be a, a pretty high level, right? Notice what John said. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Parents, the number one thing your kids need to leave home with is truth. And it needs to permeate their life. We're going to be doing a series, Lori and I and some others in the church are going to be doing a series after Easter called Raising Giants. And it's going to be built on that statement, that aim, that goal right there. We want the next generation to know the truth, to walk in the truth. The truth is in a person. The truth is in the pages. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's also in the pages of Scripture. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. What is truth in this world? Find it in Jesus. Find it in the pages of Scripture and anchor yourself to it. Number two, right living. Now, I spent a far amount of my time focusing on right thinking than on right living. Because here's what I've learned in my 54 years walking this great big blue marble is this, that if I can get my mind and my heart to align, the actions follow. If I try to go over here and try to clean up my actions, behavior modification, but I don't correct my mind and my heart, it's only a matter of time before I fail. But if I get my if I get my mind and my heart aligned, then the actions will follow. And so it is a, a very important, I think, the order of this. But notice this, it is incredibly consistent throughout Scripture. Isaiah 59, verse 17, he put on the righteousness as a breastplate. I have to believe that Paul is thinking about Isaiah when he's writing this. He's talking about the breastplate of righteousness and putting it on. Now, righteousness is a very hard word to kind of put your arms around. It's basically three different meanings. There's self-righteous. I promise you this is not what it's talking about. When we think about righteousness, and probably in our vocabulary of our day, we think about self-righteous. That's not what he's talking about at all. Then there's imputed righteousness. And then there's imparted or practical righteousness. This idea of imputed is whenever I am saved and God looks at my life, rescues me out of, out of my own mire, and he makes me whole, just like these people gave witness to today, makes me whole, and I am now made right in God's eyes. He steps into my place and takes my shame, my guilt. I, I step into his. We swap places. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 20 and 21 says, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is an imputed righteousness where God puts on your account. My friends, why would anybody not want that? Stepping into the relationship with God is one of the most critical things to what righteousness is going to look like in your life. The righteous, the, the, the breastplate of righteousness in a Roman soldier would literally go from the clavicle down to the upper thighs. And you think about that for a moment. 
This area right here, how important is that in a battle? How important is this area in the life? You might lose a pinky. You might lose an arm, a hand. You might have your eyes gouged out in the middle of battle. You could be an amputee at your legs or ankles or knees. But you get this, you got your vital organs. This is what keeps you alive. You've got to make sure this area is protected and righteousness that's given to us from God. Listen, if you have never declared your faith in Jesus Christ as these who did today, I want to challenge you. If you've given yourself to Christ or right this very moment, if you say, Jesus, I want your righteousness on my account. I want it on my, on, on, in, in my life. Then right here today, if you want to go home wet, we'll baptize you. Declare it. At the, in the next song that we have, as soon as that song starts, you, you, this is your time to think about it. Am I in a relationship with Jesus? Am I, do I, have I confessed my, my life to giving it to Jesus and, and, and repented of my sins? Then you come and meet me right over here. And we'll send you home wet. We'll give you a t-shirt. But then there's also practical righteousness or imparted righteousness, some say. This is where Paul talks about work hard to show the results of your salvation. If you're saved, and this is really what this passage is talking about because it's an act that you do. Imputing righteousness onto somebody's account is like me taking a billion dollars, a gazillion dollars, and going to the bank and dropping it into your account and you opening up your app tomorrow and all of a sudden you're a trillionaire. That's what God does to us when he imputes his righteousness on us. But what I want to do is I want to handle that resource, that gift of salvation, that trillion dollar gift of salvation, and I want to handle it well. And the way I'm going to live that out is a part of my salvation. I need to show the results of my salvation. My salvation in the Lord. It's a matter of God working out what he has put into us. Us allowing his work to happen in us. Listen, we're not going to fix ourselves. I've gone, to Indone- I've gone to Indonesia one time in my life. We were a group of pastors. We went and divided up and went to different islands. I missed the Bali island by that much. Dang it. That's on my bucket list. I want to go dive out in Bali. I'm taking a GoFundMe page starting today. I got signed to Burun, I can't even say the name, B-R-O-N-E-O. I had never heard, how many of y'all heard of Bali? Okay. How many of y'all heard of that place? I, I can't even say it. I can remember I go to that little island, we fly over a little, little plane and we, and we get dropped off. But I remember learning about that island, uh, some years later. And in the 1950s, there was a, there was a problem with horse flies so bad that they took a chemical that causes cancer today that's outlawed since, outlawed since, uh, since, um, 2004, DDT. And they started spraying the homes to get rid of the horse flies. The problem is, is that the geckos that ate the horse flies started eating the dead horse flies and the geckos started dying. And when the geckos died, the mouth, the, the excuse me, the, the um, the uh, the cats no longer had food 
to eat because they were eating the poisoned horse flies that were, had been eaten by the geckos and, the, and they were now dying. So the cats are dying. What happens now is rats start infesting the homes and they start eating the food and leaving their little deposits everywhere in the people's homes. And you know what happens then? People start dying. You could read this. They took 14,000 foreign cats and airdropped them on this island to fix the problem. Listen, they parachuted them in to break the food chain. Listen, we have a problem with lies, with deceit that we're not going to fix ourselves. We need the truth of a man named Jesus who said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And the thing is, he wasn't airdropped in, he was born of a virgin and came to this earth to die, to rescue us from our own brokenness, our own lies, our own deceits, our own ways of doing things so that we could be in a right relationship with him. He took on our sin that we might take on his righteousness. What a swap. The belt of truth overcomes the devil's deceits. The breastplate of righteousness overcomes the temptation. We live in victory when we have right thinking that informs right living. But that starts with a right relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have it today, right where you're at, Tell him in your words, Jesus, I need you. I want you to impute righteousness to me so that I can impart righteousness in my everyday life, so that I can practically live it out in my everyday life. Tell him in your own words. If you want to take the challenge to go home wet, come see me. Father God, you know our hearts. You know the lies that we tell ourselves, the Deceit that we have been deceived with. Father, you tell us to be very cautious of our own hearts. That you search the heart. You know the mind. You, Lord, bring redemption and healing and forgiveness. You bring truth to our life so that we can live that righteous life that only comes through you. Father, I pray today, right here and now, that if there's anybody who would declare their salvation today, willing to go home wet, Lord, declare it, then Lord, we rejoice with them. If there's anybody, Lord, in process in their thinking, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you quicken them. I pray that, Lord, you speak to them. I pray there's no ambiguity. Lord, would you help them to know what truth is in you and what righteousness is through you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live sent.